Yep, yep. On today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast, Chris Hemsworth, it's been confirmed he is in talks to come back to play Thorgan in Thor 5. Also, happy anniversary, Bob Chapek. It was one year ago today that he got fired from Disney, but we're going to look at the legacy of damage that he left in his wake. Also, all the major studios are not just cutting back on their Twitter advertising. They have now pulled out entirely along with a bunch of other big companies. We're going to talk about what do the studios do now. Hunger Games, a ballad of songbirds and snakes, takes number one at the box office, making a respectable $44 million. But for a movie that costs it, it did, is that going to be enough for it to break even? Creed Four is officially on the way with Michael B. Jordan returning to direct as well. And the Marvels got off to a bad start, but it got worse at the box office. And it's going to be a historic box office disaster for Marvel. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and our most heartfelt of salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campy Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but hopefully giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or even different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, we got Ray Aura. Nine days, baby. To what? Minus oh, one. minus one. That's yeah. right. The countdown's begun. Jonathan Voiko's here. I didn't say till sobriety with that cup. I don't know. <laughs> sobriety. Speaking of sobriety, writer, director, oh. producer, Robert Michael Burnett is here, ladies and gentlemen. I just want you to know I've cut way down on the drinking. I've, I really only drink water now. By the way, not only, I, I, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to put you in a spot or anything like that. You cut down drinking. You're, you're looking like you're getting in shape. Uh, I am. I, and Thank you. I appreciate it's, that. It's working out. You know, I'm. Uh, I, I I was turning into an old, loose fleshed monster. <laughs> oh, loose <laughs> <a> fleshed. <laughs> That's the monster. name of a part. I was scaring myself. I'd get out of the shower and be like, Wah! "Oh God, let's do something about that." Yeah, bad boobs are not your friend. That's Most. no admittance at uh, Pound Town. So, yeah. Most importantly, though, <laughs> you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here, making the show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those topics that we listed off. And then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your comments and questions. If you guys have a comment or question, we're going to get to those. Uh, we already asked our beloved YouTube channel members, as we do every day, to send in some topics. We'll get through as many of those as we can. But also, if you're watching live, you can use the Super Chat feature to send in a topic or question. And as long as it's appropriate for us to read on the show, we'll address those a little bit later on. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, let's get on to things here. We're going to start off with this. Now, Thor has been a, a tremendous successful brand for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I mean, I thought the first Thor movie directed by Kenneth Branagh, it's one of the most underrated, I think, comic book films ever made. Yeah, Thor 2. Not so much. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, huge match. And think whatever you want about Thor Love and Thunder. It's still made between seven, eight hundred million dollars at the box office, despite the fact that it was a little subpar compared to Thor's regular standards. So it's not really a big surprise when we heard that they were looking to do a Thor 5, but maybe without Taika Waititi. Well, now Taika Waititi himself has confirmed that Chris Hemsworth is indeed already talking about returning for Thor 5. This comes to us from Screen Rant, who write the following. 
Taika Waititi divulged that Chris Hemsworth and Marvel are apparently in talks about making a fifth Thor film. Thor 5 hasn't been officially announced by Marvel Studios at this point, though the sequel was teased with the tagline, Thor will return at the end of Thor, Love and Thunder. All right. There's a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, Number one, from a pure business perspective, of course you make a Thor 5, right? I mean, Thor 4, which whether you liked it or didn't like it, I think the vast majority of people agree it was a step down from Thor Ragnarok. I think everybody can agree on that, right? But despite that fact, the movie still made bank. Even though it was a subpar Thor outing, it made money. People want to see Thor. People like seeing Chris Hemsworth as Thor. And you put out something great. And I'm sure some of the box office success of Thor Love and Thunder had a lot to do with how good Thor Ragnarok was because people were looking to get back in the theater and see him out of run at it again. So from a business point of view, of course, you bring back Chris. Of course, you do a Thor 5, all that kind of stuff. Probably have him set up and primed for whatever Avengers 5 and 6 are going to be called. But I think there's an even deeper issue about why you got to bring him back. And it's, it touches on something that we've discussed on this show a lot over the last while. Chris Hemsworth represents one of the last remaining bastions of OG Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right As of right now... There's no Tony Stark. As of right now, there's no Steve Rogers. Literally the heart and the soul, the yin and the yang, the faces of the MCU are gone. Uh, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson's gone. Mark Ruffalo is now a Hawaiian shirt-wearing family picnic attending Incredible Hulk that literally (laughs) nobody cares about anymore. And we've got Hawkeye playing second fiddle in his own Disney Plus show talking about retiring and uh, like the character Hawkeye is talking about retiring, which of course he is. He's not an immortal like Thor. His body's taken a lot of damage. So he's talking about retiring. I mean, and with the slew of brand new characters, they spent the last couple of years just throwing at us like spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. I think it's fair to say that a large part of the audience, if you ask them, what's kind of the identity of the MCU right now? I I don't think a lot of people know how to answer that. We could in 2017. We could in 2018. I don't know that a lot of people can say that now. So it makes it all the more vital and important, I think, that a character like Thor, who is that representation of the MCU now, and I think, you know, Sean said on our show uh, about a week or two ago, you see Chris Hemsworth as Thor, as a viewer, you feel like you're home. You feel like you are in the MCU that you know and love. And so from a business point of view, makes sense. From a philosophical point of view, I think it's an absolute necessity. And I do think it's going to happen. I think Chris will be back. He's He reignited his love for playing Thor. It won't be with Taika Waititi. We know we're going to get a new director from that. But I think this is a good move. Rob, you know, Taika is saying that Chris Hemsworth and Disney talking about come back Thor 5. Right move for them, yes or no? And ultimately, do you think it's going to happen? Well, I think, first of all, I don't think that there's ever been a actor who's inhabited a role from an IP like Thor the way Chris Hemsworth has. It's perfect casting. Even though I really did not like Thor Love and Thunder, I always love watching Hemsworth playing the character. And I will watch a Thor movie. I will go see a Thor movie, even if I end up hating it, simply because I enjoy him on screen. 
And I think, look, you know, I think they need to get back to their core ideas at Marvel where look to their comic stories to inform the tales that they're going to tell. And I think there's an upcoming or there is a Thor tale that I'd love to see them tackle, which is the siege tale mm, when, right, when yeah. Asgard was moved to Oklahoma. Now Asgard's on Earth. And what happened there, obviously they'd have to change it around MCU style, but I think they need to bring back Thor and make him the kick-ass in your face, like make the extraction two of the Thor movies, <laughs> you know, because uh, I thought it was better than extraction one. And, and they need to get back to that. Like, we want to see ass kicking Hulk again, puny God. You know, I want to see, let's get back to the core Thor values that, um, that we know the and love. Core Thor values. <laughs> the core Thor values. When Thor is a warrior, he, he's kick ass. He's not uh, so, bu- I mean, look, they've gone, they've gone to buffoon. And and we need to move him back into the g- glorious, powerful Asgardian that he I is. I thought they struck the near perfect balance in Thor Ragnarok. I agree. Right. Agreed. So they infused more fun into it. Chris Hemsworth started to love it again, but it is still he's in the arena with Hulk. And after Hulk beats him up for a while, it's like okay, it's on. And and then we get the God Thor. Right. Like. They just swung that pendulum a little too far. I to- dude, I totally agree. It's a real tonal issue. And you can have fun even from the beginning when he's at the Warriors 3, you know, drinking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a lot. It should be fun. But we need ultimately that kick-ass Thor that, that we know and love. And I think they can get back to that. And I think I think Hemsworth knows it, too. I, you know what? I Look, I even think they've set up for some cool things because, once again— you got, you know, uh, what was the name of of the character again in Ted Lasso? Uh, oh, um, Kent Roy. Roy Kent. I mean, you got Roy. They set up Roy Kent as Hercules, which I I think was great. And while I may not loved how they got there, Thor now having to look after and raise a child, right now again, maybe some problems with how they got there, but <laughs> seeing Thor suddenly trying to struggle with how to parent and do that. I, I think there's possibilities there. Uh, you also have something now that Thor will love more than anything else. And you put that in danger. Yeah. You've got great heroic motivation. But to your point, when you said that there's not a lot of people who have inhabited their character like he did. Do you remember that old Saturday Night Live skit when Hemsworth was hosting and they did like this fake commercial where he's playing himself? He's like, he's like when I went into audition for the Thor, they said, wait, there's a problem. We want an actor to play Thor. Not actual Thor. I just, I remember <laughs> yes. that. It's one of the great <laughs> sketches they've done. Uh, Rob, how dare you bring up the siege? We'll never do that storyline. You know what, you though? Know what I mean, in the siege? They could. What happens in the siege? The sentry gets Dry. Dry. Oh. died. Yeah. <laughs> the sentry died right here. But we know Thor. that uh, we know that the sentry is going to be in Thunderbolts, right? Oh, so you're just, you just want him to die. But he can't be killed. Perhaps like he dies, but he always perhaps comes back, he won't die. Right? It's also the fake death universe. So yeah, come on. All right, guys. With that down, <laughs> let's move on to this. Happy anniversary to Bob Chapek. One year ago, yeah. Sorry. Happy anniversary. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Let's not do that. Let's Bob do that. was uh, unceremoniously let go from his job as CEO of Disney, taking with him. Multiple tens of millions of dollars that he got in a settlement package. And an Elton John concert. And an Elton John concert. So don't you worry about old Chapek. He's doing just fine. Uh, 
but what has been the repercussions and legacy as we look back now one year later? And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for our show and like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline at 951-268-4259. We like to pick out one or two and feature them here on the show. So today's is about, well, the anniversary of Bob Chapek. Check it out. Hi, John and crew. Um, This is Abel from Los Angeles. Today is November 20th, which is one year since Bob Chapek was fired, which I remember just how quickly they removed him. My question for you is, how do you reflect back on this day one year ago, and how do you reflect back on his job as CEO? Thank you. Have a great day, and continue to bring on the filthy. All right, Abel, thanks a lot for calling that in. And and yeah, it was um, one year ago. But, you know, I'll go back even further than that. I, I still remember when they announced that Bob Chapek would be the ultimate successor to Bob Iger. And I, for one, liked the pick at the time. On paper, it was a good pick. It worked. It made sense. That all changed for me, though, on October 12th of 2020. On October 12th of 2020, even though Chapek had started doing some things that I thought were uh, questionable at the time, I was still on board with it. But on October 12th, 2020, Disney put out this announcement that was basically the herald of what would ultimately lead to the downfall of Bob Chapek as Bob Chapek decided to completely upend what the strategy had been and worked at Disney and change it all to try to make Disney Plus, something that Bob Iger created, but try to make Disney Plus the main thing of the company. This is the press release from October 12th, 2020. And I still remember the day this came out, Rob, we got on my show and I said, this is going to be a disaster. So here's what was in that Disney announcement. This is from the official Disney um, communique. New structure designed to accelerate the company's direct-to-consumer strategy, that's basically Disney+, Plus. in light of the rapid success of Disney+. Plus, Companies' creative engines uh, will focus on producing content for direct-to-consumer as well as legacy platforms, while newly centralized distribution group will oversee commercialization and distribution of all content globally. I'm going to translate that for you in a second. All right? It goes on down here, and this is this is where it really came off the rails. Kareem Daniel is named chairman of a brand new division, media and entertainment distribution, which will include the company's streaming services led by Rebecca Campbell. All right. This is what happened that day. On October 12th, 2020, Bob Chapek made the announcement that made me realize this is going to be a train wreck. First of all, he took this thing that Bob Iger had created, Disney Plus, and he said, we're going to change what Disney Plus is for. We are now going to aim everything at Disney Plus. Now, remember, Bob Iger said, like, Disney Plus was meant to be an important piece of Disney moving forward, but it was a piece meant to complement the already insanely successful branches that they had going at the time. Bob Chapek came out and and when you read the full body of it, it was like, everything's now about Disney plus 
And all of our energies now are going to be focused at funneling content to Disney+. Plus. That's our everything. And that was never Bob Iger's intention. Hence them putting out this press release, October 12th, 2020, announcing their change of direction. Now, it's also been noted in articles by Variety and Forbes that this is kind of where Bob Chapek and Bob Iger started to have fractures in their relationship. So there was that. But this was the big thing here again, this highlighted thing. Kareem Daniel, who has been a fateful right hand to Bob Chapek for years, has no experience in the entertainment business, is a banker. Bob Chapek created a new level of middle management in the company and gave this banker supreme authority over the creative content at all of Disney Studios. And this new division, run by this banker, who, by the way, was very successful in helping Bob Chapek for years. Super smart guy. I don't want to make it sound like I'm disparaging Kareem at all. Super smart guy. Had a lot of success doing things prior to this move. But all of a sudden, the final say about what got produced and where that product would go was taken away from all of the studio heads at Disney, including Kevin Feige ripped that authority away from them and gave it to Kareem Daniels, a guy with zero entertainment experience in this brand new division whose sole purpose was about becoming a machine to just churn out product to go to Disney+. And at the time, we said, we're not going to feel the effects of this today. We're not going to feel the effects of this next month. But in one, two, and three years, we are going to be living in the nuclear aftermath of this horrible Horrible decision. And what have we got for the last three years? We got something that Bob Iger said the moment he came back. He said, we've been producing way too much, putting too much to Disney+. Plus. We're going to scale back. And Bob Iger is now slowly starting to return things to the way they had it before Chapek. But like we said, when Chapek took over, it's going to take a while to feel the effects it's probably going to, we're going to be still living under the impact of this October 12th, 2020 announcement. We are still living under the repercussions of that, and we will for at least the next year. For at least the next year, we're still going to be feeling the repercussions and the fallout from that decision. It was the thing that ultimately broke Disney and has led to a lot of the stuff. Now, there still was going to be stuff created for Disney+. Plus. Of course there was. There was still going to be some emphasis put on Disney+. Plus, Of course there was. But this press release that they put out over three years ago now was the day that I went, and you guys remember, because a lot of you said I was overreacting when I said, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> whoops, this isn't going to be good. Now, of course, there was other stuff too. The, something that I don't think we talk enough about, but I, I think had a bigger impact than we ever realized it would have his public war with Scarlett Johansson. Now, I, I thought it was a bad idea to take Black Widow and put it onto Disney Plus day and date. I thought that was a mistake, but it's not a fatal mistake. Like, it's like, okay, I don't think that's a good move. I think you're costing yourself money. I think it's a negative mood, but whatever. It, it's, a, it's a mistake, easily to overcome, whatever. But where it became a fatal mistake was when Scarlett Johansson put up her hand said, wait a minute, you guaranteed me this would be a theatrical release. 
And because you guaranteed me that, I tied a lot of my salary to the box office results. This is in our contract. So you should give me a big check to compensate me for the fact that, you know, I'm going to lose out on all this money that you contractually guaranteed me. So cut me a check. And instead of just cutting a check to keep one of their biggest stars and most beloved, who doesn't love Scarlett Johansson? Instead of cutting a check to keep in-house one of their biggest, most beloved stars, Bob Chapek decided to go to war, having his communications department issuing insulting statements. She's just being greedy. Like, you remember all that stuff? Huh. that started? And we were all like, what the hell is Disney doing? And they publicly went to war thinking everybody was just going to be on their side. Newsflash, they weren't on your side. And the law wasn't on your side. You had a damn contract. You had to honor that by paying her her money. And instead of just doing that, they went to war with it. And all of a sudden, all of us started talking and all the news outlets like, hey, Bob Iger knew how to handle their talent. The talent loved Bob Iger. Creators, creators and creatives loved Bob Iger. And he would have fixed this. Instead, they went to war for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, what happened was what a lot of us said was going to happen. Disney had to write a big check and apologize. And that's what they just should have done from day one. And I think that fundamentally, Rob, I think that incident changed people's perception of Disney. And there were other mistakes along the way, but to me, the handling of the Scarlett Johansson situation was a big, airing out dirty laundry in public was a big black eye for the company and them. And that October 12th, 2020, I think fundamentally was the biggest problem, the biggest, and unfortunately the biggest legacy. And it's unfortunate because I talk a lot of crap about Bob Chapek's running of Disney, but I always want to remind myself and everybody else that Bob Chapek had been an effective uh, executive at Disney for a long time prior to the promotion. He took over Disney under the worst possible circumstances with, you know, hey, you're the new CEO. Oh, by the way, if you heard this thing, there's some kind of flu going around. Uh, with the pandemic shutting everything down, he took it over under unimaginable circumstances and I never want to take that away from him. And he certainly did a better job running that company than I would have. But uh, I, I think these fatal mistakes are ultimately going to be the legacy of the Bob Iger or the Bob Chapek era that we are still living with the consequences of. Anyway, Rob, we're sitting here now one year later. I remember you and I talking about that press release when it first came out. What do you think about now as we have one year between that and now? Well, I think you pretty much summed it up. And, I, you know, I can't help but look at where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is as a whole, what we've seen on both Disney Plus and what we're going to talk about in terms of the Marvels and the performance. And, you know, the the idea of moving in a banker that that admittedly was very successful, you know, obviously you pointed that out. But this thought process that entertainment product, movies, television, can somehow be controlled and decided upon by bankers, by mm. people that are looking only at numbers. And I've been saying this, you know, on my own YouTube show, and I've been talking to people about it in the industry. We've seen these strikes happen. Everybody wants to use now these analytics. And at the end of the day, there's an element of making entertainment that has to come from gut instinct. You know, the great studio moguls of yore used to decide what they want. It was like one guy 
who said, I want to make this, you know, and would make sure these things put the talent together. You know, you don't necessarily, you don't have an analytic sheet that tells you what's going to work and what's not. It's a gut feeling. And I think that Bob Iger had a little bit of that because he grew up. I mean, you listen to a story about meeting Frank Sinatra from a young age, and he understood how talent relationships work. Mm. And in this business, half of this business is the relationships you have with talent because talent, these are the people that have to create this stuff. And if suddenly you're allowing just, that's what happened to Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And no one, no one sat in there. And like you pointed out, she had a contract. You can't just decide. And Warner brothers did the same thing when they decided to go day and date with all their movies. We're going to put our movies on HBO max and in the theater. It's like, uh, bruh, you guys don't, there's contracts here. Legendary pictures or financier. You can't do that. And they just went and did it. And and I think that that, more than anything, is the problem. And I think that Chapek, look, Chapek's been a company man. When I worked in home video there, work creating special features, he was very well liked. The people, he was a big proponent of home video back in the aughts. And I think that he was a company guy, but he didn't have the kind of people skills that somebody like Bob Iger learned from a very young age. And you can't just throw people into positions and just because on paper they might have the right credentials are they the right person for the job because sometimes it's the things that aren't on paper that are what's most important mm. and i think we saw a guy i mean bob bob chapek is not a um a, a dumb man by any stretch of the imagination not at all not in the least he's a very smart guy and he worked at disney for a very long time and he understood the company but i don't think he understood the people aspects of what he was required to do. And when they bring everybody in, they try and control it all. You know, there is that, there is that it factor. There is that factor where somebody's going to create, you know, you never get a, you know, you're not, you're never a success in Hollywood by following trends or analytics. At some point you have to use your gut and you have to make something that no one else is making like Alan Ladd Jr. When Universal after American Graffiti was made and became a big hit, when Universal said to George Lucas, yeah, we don't want to do your weird space adventure. It was Alan Ladd Jr. who said over at Fox, I don't know about this, Lucas kid. I don't know about this space adventure, but maybe you can do it. And he had the gut instinct to say, let's make Star Wars. You know, to your point about Iger too, I, I think fundamentally talk about his ability to relate with people, which was not one of Chapek's stronger points. But he also had one overriding philosophy. He believed Disney needed to be guided by creators, right? So when you look at the movie system, the studio system, he took the greatest movie executive of all time, Alan Horn, got him to come over, got him out of retirement. And then they empowered Alan Horn and the individual studio heads, whether it's John Lasseter, um, uh, Kevin Feige, and, and the, the others who represent the different divisions, and said, you guys are going to decide what you make, and you guys are going to decide where it goes. Answer to Alan, who is a creator himself, uh, will tell you how much he can spend and how much he can't spend and all that kind of stuff. But Iger had this overriding philosophy that creators needed to be the ones pushing the company forward. And that October 12th, 2020 memorandum set off a flare in the sky that said, Creators no longer run Disney. Now, bankers run Disney. Uh, the data sheets will run Disney now. 
and I don't like maybe there's a happy medium between the I think there philosophy is. and the JPEG philosophy, but I mean, I, I love this idea of getting back to creators are going to push us forward. It's just we're still going to be a couple of years away from seeing the results of trying to get back to that. Anyway, guys, with that down, <laughs> let's move on to this, shall we? You know, one of the great things about social media is that it's offered movie studios a direct, effective, and cost-effective way to communicate with the audiences. However, with a lot of the stuff that's been going on over at Twitter, I know it's called X now, but nobody calls it X. I'm just going to refer to it as Twitter. Still at Twitter.com. It's still at Twitter.com. <laughs> uh, people still call them tweets. They don't call them Xs. So, yeah, we talked a little while ago about how a Forbes article pointed out that Hollywood spending on X had dropped in half because there was a lot of concerns about extremist stuff going up on there and people didn't want ads for their product showing up, which is something that was happening. Well, things got a little bit worse this week as uh, Twitter slash X head honcho Elon Musk I own a couple of his cars. I love his cars. Love his solar technology. Love a lot about him. He retweeted, commented on, and liked a harshly anti-Semitic tweet that basically said, uh, the Jews are just one big conspiracy theory to eliminate the white man. That's basically what it was. And to which Elon reposted it, and added his own comment on it, says, you are speaking the truth. Now, obviously, this didn't set well with a lot of people. Fine, whatever. And the repercussions of which financially are pretty big. This comes to us from IndieWire, talks specifically about Hollywood and other industries that respond to this. NBC Universal, Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, Lionsgate, Paramount, and Apple have all suspended ads from X, formerly known as Twitter, after owner Elon Musk made anti-Semitic comments on the platform. Sony Pictures is also not currently advertising on X. An individual with knowledge told IndieWire, the company's moves follow similar decisions by tech companies like Apple and IBM to suspend all ads on X. Now, I don't, we are a, a movie industry channel, so we're not here to talk about Elon Musk and talk about that side of it. What I'm more interested in is what, what does Hollywood now do? And we touched on this a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that spending on X had dropped in half. What do these studios now do? Because, again, while you do have to pay for ad placement on social media platforms like X, it was a very cost-effective way to, to advertise more so than the old, you know, buying a half page spread in a local newspaper or, or even television spots or, or even online spots. And the studio saying, you know, look, we're a little bit concerned about us having our, an ad pop up beside some say ultra hate post saying blah, blah, blah. Jews should die. By the way, go and see Wish this weekend at a theater near you. <laughs> brought to you by Disney Animation, right? Um, and, you know, I often talk about this. Freedom is, is a two-way street. Somebody may have the freedom to say something, but then you have the freedom to decide if you want to be associated with that thing. They say if freedom is a two-way thing. It goes both ways. So the studio saying, you know, we, we don't want our content to be up there with certain things that are being said. We don't want to be identified with that. And that's totally their right to do. 
But it does create a problem, or at least an interesting scenario about how does marketing arms of these studios compensate now for, say, the loss of a very cost-effective way of reaching people, which is through the social platform of Twitter. And it's going to be interesting to see that. Now, I, I don't, they said Sony was already had decided not to advertise on there. Now we get, you add to that Universal, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Disney, Lionsgate. Is it missing anybody significant? I think A24 had already said they pulled theirs. So I don't know if there's anybody significant left for that. But anyway, um, Rob, I don't think the answer for the studios is to turn to Facebook. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Instagram or, or TikTok, or, but TikTok is presenting some other challenges too, whatever. How do the studios make up for the lack of either free or cost-effective advertising that you're able to do on X? Where do they redistribute that now? I mean, I, it's a really good question. I, I guess more ads on YouTube. I mean, the thing about Twitter is, like, I know for me, I'm a useful idiot when it came to things like Twitter or Blue Sky or Threads, because if I see a cool trailer, I'll repost it. You know, I'll be like, check this out. Like, the gods, I can't tell you how many Godzilla minus one tweets I've made. <laughs> you know, and and but but seriously, if something if if something is cool, it's fun to tweet a a, a trailer when it drops or a scene when it, it drops. I mean, I put up a scene, uh, the scene when Godzilla is chasing the boat from Godzilla minus one, going, "This is some great effects work," you know, and and then suddenly you, you have people retweeting it. So from a viral standpoint, it's a very effective platform for the studios. Now I don't know how they replace it because it's still the biggest of the platforms. I mean, you could go to Threads, you could go to to blue sky you could go to facebook but there are i mean uh, youtube but they're already doing that so i think i don't know that there's a, a way to replace what x aka twitter can do for them but they have to go where they're gonna go i mean it's unfortunate i you know i think what elon musk has done by taking all this previously existing technology and focusing it and creating like you said the solar power the the the, the tesla's and, and say what you want. I mean, he's revolutionized the space program, even though they lost Starship again, you know, their test flight for Starship. They're pushing forward so much great technology. I don't, I don't know what, what Elon Musk has been doing the last couple of years, but I wish he would just concentrate on making great advancements by, you know, using other people's material and revolutionizing it because it's really frustrating and disheartening to see him doing these kinds of things. All right, guys. Question is... Uh, what do you think about where could you see studios reallocating those? Do they do like what Rob was saying, double down more on YouTube? That that YouTube is like this channel, like this channel. Uh, YouTube <laughs> is technically the largest social media channel in the world because it's actually oddly enough, it's qualified as a social media channel. But I don't know. Maybe they go in other directions, look for new things. Who knows? All right, guys, we are going to come back here in just a second. We're going to talk about. The Hunger Games box office. We're going to talk about Creed 4 is now officially going to happen. And the Marvel's box office is far more abysmal than even we thought after the first weekend. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. But before we do, we're first going to take some uh, break here to hear from a couple of our sponsors today. And our sponsors today are from DraftKings and Fume. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video 
DraftKings. There's so much to be thankful for. Family, friends, food, and NFL football all week long. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just five bucks on the NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. No matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. And it's a big Thanksgiving week. Detroit Lions are favored over the Green Bay Packers. The Dallas Cowboys are favored over Washington. Who will you pick? So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code Campia. New customers can bet five on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code Campia. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com football terms. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way more difficult than that. And that's why there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some fake online promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habits? completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my Fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. And there's no reason that can't be you. You gotta try the new Solano Fume. It's made with a premium walnut barrel and an onyx-coated mouthpiece that has a slightly softer finish. Start the holidays off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com campia and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 20% off until December 1st when they use my code campia to help make starting the good habit that much easier. So start the good habit at tryfume.com campia to save an additional 20% off the journey pack today day until December 1st and 10% off year round. And thank you to our friends at DraftKings and Fume for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, this past weekend, a brand new Hunger Games film, a ballad of songbirds and snakes opened up in theaters. Now, I reviewed it last week. While there are a, a bunch of things in it that I thought were great performances, uh, a number of things like that, I... Personally, at the end of the day, in a thumbs up or a thumbs down world, I didn't hate it, but it was a thumbs down for me. I, I didn't like it. Now, I, I acknowledge that it seems like the majority of people did like it. Um, the uh, audience rating is, is actually quite high. It doesn't mean they loved it, but most people seem to like it. I did not, but that's just me. So it was enough, though, to take number one at the box office this weekend, beating out the other newcomer, well, two other newcomers, Trolls, <coughs> Trolls 3, I should say, and Thanksgiving opened up. Hunger Games made $44 million on its opening weekend, kind of in range of uh, where they were kind of predicting it would come out a little lower, but came out at $44 million. Also, 
uh, Trolls 3 did better, I got to say, than I expected it would. Made $30 million bucks in its opening weekend. Thanksgiving, not so much. Made about two-something million dollars, so it finished down there. <laughs> we'll talk about the Marvels a little bit later. But still, came out respectable, $44 million. And worldwide, I think they said it's closing in about $100 million after its first weekend. Okay. The question becomes, though, is that enough? Is that enough money for uh, the Hunger Games to actually end up breaking even or maybe even being profitable? Well, that's questionable. Now, according to the reports that I have read, they spent a production budget on the making of this movie around $100 million, which by today's standards of big, huge budgets getting out of control, that's not bad. Especially having seen the movie, I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see $100 million. I think they did pretty good for $100 million for what they made. Now, on top of that, they had a, a fairly solid, robust marketing campaign for it. They couldn't get any of the stars out to go and promote it, of course, because of the actor strike. But let's say they spent about $100 million on the marketing. Maybe it was a little higher than that. Maybe it was a little bit lower than that. But let's say, be generous to say $100 million. Well, that means you're talking about a movie right now that needs to make anywhere in the neighborhood between three and $400 million to break even. Just to be fair, let's say 350. Can it get to $350 million? I'm not certain that it can. Now, listen, it's off to the right start. If you can get $100 million worldwide after one week and get about a third of the way there, that's a pretty decent start. So it's really all going to come down to the legs of this thing, right? Will people go out and see it twice? Will they want to get some friends together who didn't see it yet and say, you got to come with me and see this movie. I thought it was wonderful. I think you're going to have a good time. And while I acknowledge that more people liked this movie than I did, I don't know if they liked it enough to do that. I don't know if they liked it enough to call up Ray and say, Ray, you got to come. Oh my God, you got to come with me and come see this. This is going to be great. I don't know, Ray. Did you, maybe you did love it. I don't know. What did you think of the movie? I can't, I can't remember what you thought of it. I think he slept through Hunger Games? It. Oh, yeah, you slept through most of it. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the Hunger Games? What? Practice? We're talking about practice? I remember a couple of trailers, but then, <laughs> then it was like, then sleepy it was all time. a blur after. <laughs> um, so I, I, I just don't know. So can it get to that? I'll, I'll say this. It's certainly within reach. Starting off with 100, need to get to 3, 354. It's within reach. I'm going to guess it doesn't. But more importantly, I think this. I have not heard this. Nobody's told me this. This is just me speculating. The plan was to create this into a new franchise. And I don't think they're going to do it. Mm. I, I simply don't think that while the majority of the people like it, I don't think they like it enough. And I don't think the box office results are going to justify to them dropping another because next time it's going to be more expensive because next time this kid who played Coriolanus Snow who's a relative unknown and I'm sure you got him for real cheap he's going to be more expensive next time uh, Rachel Zegler is going to be more expensive next time they're probably going to want to up the stakes and so spend more on production I just don't think they're going to sit down and look at that and say it doesn't make business sense to make this movie again it's possible they may my guess right now is that even though it took number one at the box office, I don't think it'll be enough for them to continue this franchise. Anyway, Rob, you've taken a look. You've seen the numbers. You've heard the buzz and stuff like that. 
good on it for making 44 million opening weekend, nearly 100 million worldwide, taking number one spot at the box office, beating out a family film like Trolls. But do you think they're going to continue with this? Is it enough? Well, I, I was reading on Deadline yesterday in Anthony D'Alessandro's column where he talked about Lionsgate was able to cover 65% of the budget through foreign sales and then 20 more million. So 85 million to their 100 million investment in making the movie was already covered. So I think that Lionsgate and then whatever they paid in marketing, they paid, whether it's 100 million or whatever, Lionsgate's going to do, I think, okay. But will the money that this movie makes worldwide generate enough interest to make more? I mean, obviously, there's not another book. There isn't a third, a second book in this series to base it on. Uh, but I think you're right. I think they want to make it a franchise and make three movies out of it. Why wouldn't you? Right now, the jury for me is still out. It really depends on, on this is Thanksgiving weekend. So there is a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people that are out of school. A lot of stuff's happening. And there's a lot of uh, people that are going to go to the movies this week. So I think there's a pretty good chance that over the course of this coming week and next weekend, which is the Thanksgiving weekend, it's going to make some good money. So I'll be able to tell you next week at this time what I think about where, whether or not they'll make another another one of these movies. Zelda Master is just uh, commenting in on the live chat there. The Thanksgiving weekend will help it. Uh, despite being a bit more mature, it lends itself to the family dramatic and usually reigns uh, over holiday weekends. I, I I hope you're right. I want all films to succeed. Me too. I, I just don't know if it's going to have those types of legs, but we will find out. All right, guys. With that down, let's go on and talk about this, shall we? You know, under the category of franchises that I absolutely did not think they should do and make was Creed. More movies in the Rocky universe, but not with Rocky as your lead. You're going to tell what stories about Apollo's son. Nobody will care. This is a bad idea. Love the fact that you got Michael B. Jordan in there. Yeah, that sounds good. And you got Coogler involved. That's always good, but I still thought it was a mistake. Well, while the Creed franchise has not exactly blown up the box office, They've made a pretty good film franchise, to be honest with you. I've, I've liked all the Creed films, uh, even the last one. I didn't think the last one was the best one that they've done, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I really loved one. I enjoyed two, enjoyed three, all that kind of stuff. Well, of course, now they're going to make a fourth. This comes to us from Deadline, who writes the following. Creed 3 producer Erwin Winkler, who I believe is the producer of all the Rocky films, if I'm not mistaken, uh, said Saturday at Deadline's Contender Film Los Angeles event that Creed 4 is in the works with franchise star and Creed 3 director Michael B. Jordan to helm it. We are planning to do Creed 4 right now, Winkler said on stage during a panel for Creed 3, the MGM Amazon Studios pick that bowed in March and grossed more than $275 million at the worldwide box office. We have a really good story and a really good plot. We got a little delayed because of the strikes, but about a year from now, we're going to go into pre-production. And again, that comes to us from the producer of this series. All right. On a personal note, my Myself, in my head, I'm saying, yay, because I like these movies. I like seeing Michael B. Jordan in this role. I like the world of Rocky, all that stuff. So I'm on board. I like it. From a film analysis point of view. So I got the one side of my brain going, yay. The other side of my brain is, what do you do now? What do you do with Creed? Because Creed has already done the Rocky thing where he's retired and then came out of retirement for a big thing. So 
okay, where, where do you go from there? I mean, you could explore more about his daughter. His daughter's a great, cute little badass. I love that, but she's still way too young to actually tell a story around her, right? You're not, you're not going to talk, tell a story about the professional fighting career of Creed's daughter. She's going to be, I don't know, maybe 12 now. I think she was younger than that in the last one. I don't know that they'd bring back Jonathan Majors to continue that storyline. Do you have him, like, does Drago's kid become heavyweight champion and now Creed just wants to see if he can win that title back? I, I just don't know where you go with it. The other thing is this. One of the big draws for me, and remember, I do like Creed three. I liked it quite a bit. But one of the big draws for me, one of the identifying markers of DNA about the Creed films that I love so much was the dynamic between, you know, Apollo, sorry, uh, Apollo's son. Uh, what was his? Adonis. Adonis. Yeah. Between Adonis and Rocky. And magically in Rocky three, Rocky was just, or in Creed three, Rocky was just gone. Like not, not so much as a mention really. Like, really? All these things? Like, his mother died and Rocky didn't come to the funeral? Ugh. Really? Really? Yeah. At least have a stand-in actor that you only shoot from behind where so you don't see their actor's face with Rocky's symbol, symbolic hat and just see them put their hand from behind so you don't see their face and just hear a voice saying, Sorry, kid. Or, <laughs> and, and like something. <laughs> say, hey, yo. It made- it's brisk, baby. <laughs> hey, yo. It's brisk. What a callback. <laughs> it's like the ultimate wow. callback. <laughs> but, I mean, really, Rocky just didn't show up? Come on. I know he's living in a different part of the country now, but he loved that woman, too. He loved Apollo's wife. They were family. So, a- anyway, I-, I don't, I can't see, especially with all the commentary that Sylvester Stallone has made about this franchise and made about the producer Winkler and all those things. I can't see those burnt bridges being rebuilt. So I can't see Sylvester's coming back for four. So look, the fan part of me goes, yeah, I'll go see that. I just don't know what you do with it. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about it? Why? Look, I have no idea what they do with it, but I think it's uh, a great (laughs) idea to, but I, I think it's a great idea from a business standpoint to make it because like you said, I think all three of those movies have been respectable. You know, first of all, Ryan Coogler, it was born out of, uh, from what I remember, I heard him on NPR talking about this. You know, he became a big Rocky fan when his mother was sick. He was watching the Rocky movies with his dad, came up with his idea, went out and made it happen. So good. That like, I love that so story. Good. And I love the fact that Ryan Coogler did this. But then both of these other movies tied into the Rocky universe pretty well. I mean, and then seeing uh, Michael B. Jordan bringing his love of anime to the fight scenes in Creed Three, I love, I loved it. And to know that it made two hundred and seventy-five million worldwide, these are not expensive movies to make. These are not two hundred million dollar Marvel extravaganzas. And I think it makes business sense. And if they say they have a good script, now I don't know what that is. Maybe there's a mentor thing where Creed becomes. Uh, a mentor to somebody, or maybe they kind do of like the, Rocky five with Rocky oh, to yeah. machine, uh, to something to machine like gun, that. Tommy gun, Tommy gun, uh, gun. but make it a better version of Rocky five. That was the best. Oh man. I mean, they could do that, <laughs> but I just think it makes sense to make these movies. And in terms of a film, I mean, dude, it's crazy that the creeds, the creed movies are spinoffs of the Rocky movies. And there's been three of them. It's crazy. That means there's over there's ten Rocky movies. <laughs> it's nuts. But if they've got a good story and they keep the price down, and I think Michael B. Jordan, man, 
not only is he a, a hunk of hunk of burning love as a specimen of a human male, but he's also a good director. And he did I've, a good job with Rocky I've, I've really did. enjoyed yeah. him all the way back to the wire. I loved him in Friday Night Lights. I'm a huge fan of what he does, and uh, more power to him. One of the really cool things too is is that when you got when you rolled into Rock into Creed two, which I didn't think was quite as good as Creed one, but I really loved it. They they gave depth to almost everybody in it because it wasn't just about you know Adonis's own development and growth, which they did very well, but even Drago had his own. I'm talking about Ivan Drago had his own development, right? Because from that moment that he's sitting in. Sylvester Stallone's or Rocky's restaurant with him and talk about the way he ruined his life. Like at the end though, Drago put his son above everything else and he did what old Drago wouldn't have done. He threw in the towel because he wanted to protect his son because his son was more important than all this other stuff. So even in the side character, yeah, we saw development and growth and I thought that was what made that movie special. So it'd be interesting to see if they do a four, what are they going to do to continue that? How do we continue the evolution of Apollo? There, there's a couple of things they could do. They could do him. If they're going to continue this and four is not the last one, he could be chasing legacy. They could be, yeah. they, he, he could be chasing a Rockies. Uh, how many times did Rocky win that title? Like so many times? 17 times. <laughs> or they could do the downside, which would be a, like a sadder, like, you know, like maybe he gets damaged in the ring. And gets... <laughs> or they could be like really rocky, like like really like Drago's son dying in the ring and him avenging Drago's he son. Like really follow the they same pattern. Really, I, I don't know. I just hope it's good. They have to have like the, the opponent has to, the opponent has to have a, like a human story. Not like some out there like, you know, like, what was going on before. Like, he has to be interesting is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking, you know, we've never really seen, a Rocky always comes back to fight. There was always more fights, more fights, more fights. I would love to see, I've always been fascinated by the transition that professional athletes have to make into private life after they have to hang up their spurs. You know, like, like you look at Magic Johnson had, became an entrepreneur. I really love... I love watching Shaq and what Shaq's been doing in his life after basketball. Yeah, he's recreated himself like four times. Yeah, he's done a great and, job. And it would be interesting to watch that journey. No, and, and, <laughs> I know. I mean, look, he can end his career on go out on a high note. So he got some great fight scenes, but tell a really interesting story about the transition. I want to see from Creed, one life to another. Creed, no. I want to tell you, I, I won world championships. Now I want to tell you about my world championship NFTs. Frisk, baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the best part about the Rocky movies is the buildup for that final fight. I, yeah. I don't think we'll get that if we go that route. You know what I mean? It's well, like, I mean, it could, the fight could be the climax of it, but we could see him preparing for a different and, life. You know, what do you do? I don't know. Well, here, here's an idea. Mm -hmm. And this would, this goes to the cheesy. It would just be following the same pattern and all this kind of stuff. But, but tell me people wouldn't be excited about this. If they said now he's got to fight Clubber Lang's son. Now, now a lot of people, a lot of people... <laughs> guessed that that's where they might have gone when they announced Creed 3. A lot of people guessed maybe Clubber Lang's or something mm -hmm. like that. But you get in Mr. T, <laughs> you do whatever. You, I mean, I think it's a bad creative decision, but tell me people wouldn't get excited dude, for that. Dude, you got me. And the I'm best, in. Right, and the I'm best, in. Like the, what I liked about the last Creed is that you kind of, you kind of like, uh, sympathize with uh, Jonathan Major's character a little bit. Yeah. Like, the closer they get to where you don't know who you want to win, 
in that last fight, like you actually feel for like the opponent too. I think that would make a great like a uh, finale, like where you're like, huh? I, I like this other guy too. I, I might I might want him to beat Creed. You know what I mean? Where do they make the other guy likable? They've never gone that route, really. really? What if Creed has to fight his own daughter? <laughs> I'm sick of your shit, Dad. <laughs> and they got a they got a fight. I don't know. Put on the gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to prom. <laughs> what prom? Me about how hard you can hit. <laughs> okay, you guys. Put on the gloves. Can we move Let's on. Go. Now? <laughs> All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? Can you hear it? Do you hear the sound? Oh, you That's that? the crashing and burning at the box office of the Marvels. Woo! Oh, my goodness. Now, listen, the Marvels opened up in, uh, in an underwhelming way. Again, listen. Many studios, many directors would kill to have a film that opens up to over $45 million. I'm not saying they wouldn't. Absolutely would. I'm acknowledging that. But it is not the standard of Marvel. It was a disastrous opening by Marvel standards for that. Now, on Friday's open mic, somebody wrote in, to me and ask, hey, John, do you think, for those of you who watched Open Mic on Friday, say, John, do you think that, you know, the same thing that can happen here, that has happened with a couple of films, it gets big word of mouth and it starts rolling and it ultimately does well at the box office, uh, i.e. Elemental. Elemental opened to half the money that the Marvels did, but it went on to, you know, get close to half a billion dollars because that movie was so good. And people just kept going back and hearing how good it was and went and went and went. And ultimately, the box office ended in a very positive way. And somebody's asked me on Friday, can that happen? Can that happen with the Marvels? And I said, no. <laughs> just because, look, and, and, and I'm, not trash, I'm, not, I'm not trying to trash on a hate on the movie. I basically liked it. I had a lot of problems with the movie, but I basically had a good time watching it. But what I said on Friday's show was, here's the thing. It's while the majority of the people, this is a statistical fact. While the majority of the people liked the movie, very, very few people loved the movie. And without a higher percentage of people loving the movie, I said, I just don't think you're going to get the, the big number of repeat viewers, and like we were talking about a little bit earlier, I don't think you're going to say, I said this Friday, I don't think you're going to get the people going out and grabbing their friends saying, hey, listen, Tuesday, we got to go see the Marvels. Or next weekend, set, set Friday night aside, we're going to go see the Marvels. I got to bring you with me to go see it. I said, I just don't see that happening. So a 60% or more drop is bad. And I said, I think this thing's going to be 60 or more percent drop. I didn't think. It would be 78% drop from weekend one to weekend two. And I was already being negative. So I don't see this thing turning it around. I don't see it getting its legs. I think it's going to be 60% or worse. <laughs> but I did not think it would be 78. And you know what? I think, I think it was on Friday's open mic. Somebody wrote in and said, it's going to take a 90% drop. And I guffawed. And of course, it didn't take a 90% drop, but holy crap, it got a lot closer to that 90% drop than I thought it would. And listen, we've, we've talked, 
Listen, I, great. Listen, I can already hear people yelling this at me. I acknowledge you had one week after it opened, you had a Hunger Games movie come out that ate up $44 million of box office. I acknowledge that. You had a brand new Trolls 3 movie come out that ate up another $30 million of the box office. I acknowledge that. Yes, those are factors. Absolutely, I'm not saying they're not, okay? But even with those factors, a 78% drop for a major wide release film from weekend one to weekend two that did not make a billion dollars or a, or did not hit a $250 million opening, because, you know, the bigger a movie opens like that, you can expect a bigger percentage drop off because more people already saw it. But that wasn't the case with Marvels. Even with a Hunger Games and a and, and a, a, a Trolls 3 opening up just one week later, I gr granted, that does not account for a 78% drop at all. Now, again, I can already hear people yelling at me, John, box office is not the indicator of quality. I'm not saying it is. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, I don't think you're going to find many people who think Marvel's is better than Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. But the Marvel's has made more money than Killers of the Flower Moon. So, so we're not saying that it's an indicator of quality. I'm not saying that. But when you look at all the things that Rob, you and I talked about, the three or four things that we said months before the Marvel's came out that we listed off, these are going to be the, the box office challenges it faces. People feel like they're already behind because they don't know who a couple of the main characters are. The state of the MCU is in the worst shape it's ever been in. We're coming off of something like Secret Wars. A lot of people are already now complaining a lot. And I'm going to say this, and it's not provable, so I'm kind of speaking it into the ether, but I'm, I'm going to stand by this. In as much that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 made over $800 million, I guarantee you if Guardians of the Galaxy 3 came out in, say, 2018, when the state of Marvel was much healthier and people's perceptions of Marvel was much higher, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 makes over a billion dollars. I stand by that. I completely believe that. Obviously, I can't prove it, but I completely believe that. That movie comes out back when everybody was feeling more positive about Marvel. It makes over $800 million. I think the Marvels is just good enough that it wouldn't have come anywhere near the billion-dollar mark like Captain Marvel did. But if this movie had come out back in an era when people were feeling more positive about Marvel, this movie makes $500, $600 million at the box office overall by the end of its theatrical run. I believe that. Only half of what Captain Marvel did, but better. You cannot, just like we've talked about the failure of a lot of the DC films at the box office, you cannot overlook or ignore the fact that the general feeling towards the average movie going audience towards the DC product is in the gutter and that the general outlook of the average movie going towards Marvel is a lot lower than it was just a couple of years ago. And, but Rob, Ant-Man 2, or sorry, Ant-Man 3 took a 69% drop. There's everybody's favorite number. Nice percentage <laughs> point, nice percentage point. Took a 69% drop mm. on from its weekend one weekend two, and we thought, oh my God, that's as bad as it gets. And it was. Like that's, that's a remarkably big drop. This is 78. And we've talked before, Rob, about with all the things moving around, 
Marvel now only has one movie coming out in 2024. And that's Deadpool. And then they don't have another movie coming out to 2025. And just like a battered and bruised football team that's got its bye week, and you say, ooh, this bye week is coming at the perfect time, this break, aside from Deadpool 3, this break between now and 2025 could not have come at a better time because, oh my God, they need to turn this thing around. And you ain't going to do it. And I say this to some, again, I'm not hating on Captain Marvel. I'm somebody who generally liked the movie. So don't come at me, <laughs> but you're not going to turn things around only putting out product of that quality level. You need to get back to putting out the supreme kind of quality that they had before. Again, we talked about the Bob Chapek stuff, but irrelevant. You got to get this thing turned around. Rob, you saw this. 78, Rob, 78. I can't remember the last time, if ever, I've seen a major motion picture, wide release studio thing, take a 78% drop from weekend one to weekend two. How do they turn this thing around? Well, first of all, you know, I, I'm a lover of the MCU. I, I loved it. You know, I, I, I was so excited for it. Infinity War and Endgame, we've talked endlessly about how much I love those movies. And I really, I, when I saw this movie, I, I, it sort of codified for me what's been wrong with the MCU. You know, it used to be that you'd watch these movies individually. They'd tell you a story. And on the meta level, they would have some kind of overarching, it was an, a piece to a much larger puzzle. And you could enjoy them from both perspectives. And as the MCU got bigger and bigger and bigger and they added more and more films, part of the entertainment value was not only seeing what they did with our favorite heroes, but how it would all interlock into the bigger picture. You had Winter Soldier setting up Hydra and things that led right into Civil War, which led, so there was a, a narrative thrust to the franchise overall, not just as individual movies, because you had your individual trilogies within the larger picture. When I saw this movie, when it was over, it, like you, it was fine. You know, it was mildly entertaining. This has, it, this is entirely inconsequential to any larger picture. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it has it absolutely no, it, it is missing a vital half of what the MCU, by the way, the MCU built this up itself. This is not something that I'm imposing on it. It's an expectation that this franchise built its audience with. And I think this, this phase four and five with the multiverse, none of it was thought through. There's no through line. This movie is entirely inconsequential to anything. And, and I think that, I mean, I understand again, my whole uh, you know, I've always said the Burnett axiom, never put your universe or your agenda before your story and your characters. And the funny thing about this movie was I thought the characters were delightful. I, I, I see that's the thing. I, with all the problems I had, I actually thought at the core, the strength of the movie and all bad movies have their strengths. The strength of the movie was their characters and the, the interaction dynamics between the characters. And, and knowing like, that, you know, some people have looked at this movie, well, you know, it's a female-centric film and they're, they're looking to promote diversity. I was like, that all worked. This is a movie that, that that's, I thought that it did it, that it did all of that correctly. You know, I always loved Monica Rambeau in the 80s as a member of the Avengers. Her, she was my Captain Marvel. Amon Vellani is delightful. These three Charlie's Angels of superheroines or whatever should have they were gold as characters and if they were given the what they were missing was a story to care about a story that meant something to the mcu 
as a whole. And then that the audience could have been like, man, this is kick-ass. Like, I, what's going to happen? It didn't give us either one of those things. It gave us the great characters that were a lot of fun to hang out with, but I could care less. They might as well have gone to a cafe and sat down for 97 minutes. So basically the opening of, uh, what's the name of the Quentin Tarantino movie? Death Proof? It, yeah, the opening scene. I would have watched that or, or or just gone to a party at Avengers Tower or not gone wherever they're Avengers. We don't know where the Avengers are anymore. We don't know where their base is. But the story that they were involved in, I just didn't care. It meant nothing to me. And when you get to the end, you have these two, even the two post-credit sequences. I'm like, one of them... If that's where you're going to go, I don't think anybody cares about that either. And then you've got something that they're setting up that they've already shown us before. Yeah. Yeah. And Doctor Strange that they've, they've already. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I got a kick out of the post. I did. I got a kick out of the post. Sure. When that one dude shows up, I had a big smile on my me face. Me too. And the last scene of the movie. Well, look, I just think Young Avengers is a stupid idea to start with. But I mean, it was, it was a charming scene. I liked it. I yeah, I mean, I like, look, I like the idea of a Young Avengers movie, but not now. There's no reason, like, you could, you could make it the greatest movie in the world. Don't care. Okay, I want to, I want to test something right here with you. I want to test a theory with you, okay? Because you're, you're talking about how you had these great characters, good dynamic between them, but we couldn't care less about what was going on around them. Let me, in let, me see, let me see how far that goes, okay? I have talked about the villain of this movie many times. Right now, at the top of my head, I can't even remember the villain's name. Darben. Okay, it's Darben. You're right. Yeah. It's Dar I was going to say, can you even remember the name of the yeah. villain? I, and I, I've talked about Darben a hundred times. Even now, I was like... But, but here's the thing about this. That's how little I cared about her. Do you know what it seemed like to me when I was watching this movie? I'm like, okay, so you got these three female characters together, so now we have to give them a female villain. It just smacked of. I didn't mind that. I I uh, I didn't I, care. I didn't care about that any more than the fact that in the first Iron Man film, Jeff Bridges was a villain because it was a guy. I mean, I, I didn't care. No, about that. but, just but that you didn't do anything to make the character, regardless of the character's gender, because it wouldn't have been any better if the character was a guy. No, it's they true. Didn't write anything interesting about the character. Well, I just think that I, I wanted an interesting story about what Captain Marvel's been doing. She could have been. They could have given the Captain Marvel character is some real gravitas. That's what this movie should have done. But it didn't do that. And I, I, I think that it was ill-conceived all the way through. Like, I just don't understand. I'm perplexed by uh, 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 phases four and five of, of this franchise in general. I don't get it. I don't understand what they're expecting us to take away from all of it. No, because I, it doesn't I work. Agree. What is the overarching story? I don't get it. By the way, so I can't, my mind can't help again. You know why the, that Dar Ben had to be a woman? Because heaven help Disney. If they made, if they had the three heroes women and they made the bad guy a dude, you know, a kind of, hate men. Yeah, you're right. That, that would have been, so they, they kind of had to make the villain a woman, I think, but. Someone was just echoing you. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it was spicy meme. Seven four five eight says that. that. Isn't that? Yeah. So that's exactly where they. But I mean, uh, you know, I'm just saying that. I, that just occurred to me now. But what I really wanted was these three characters that are charming and their dynamic was great. Put them in a situation. You know, it's funny they they just announced Criterion announced not that you're interested, but 4K <laughs> version of the heroic trio and the Executioners, which is a great. Two, it's an Asian, two Asian films. Michelle Yeoh is one of the stars of these three kick-ass females together. Those movies kick ass, and I can't wait to buy them. 
same thing. Dynamic of three women that kick ass. And I'm like, this movie had these three great female actresses that are very appealing and can be very appealing and their chemistry work really well together that had no interesting story. I just don't care. But doesn't that summarize what you just said? Doesn't that summarize the entirety of the MCU the last few years? Yes. You have some great, and let's look at a couple of the movies that worked, okay? Let's like say at Shang-Chi and Guardians of the Galaxy 3, right? So all these things have like really great characters at their core, sure. But Shang-Chi and say Guardians of the Galaxy 3, they had these really compelling stories. Let's look at Shang-Chi. Beyond Shang-Chi himself, who is a really fascinating story, this guy who's living a secret life, background, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's a story. I love the way this movie started about this man, Shang-Chi's father, who fell in love, a love that changed his the course of his life to reject immortality, to have the woman that he loved and children and all that kind of stuff, and the pain of the loss for that man, losing that woman, and what that did with him and his relationship with his son, his relationship with the world, and what he was willing to do to try to get that back. It's an amazing story. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, characters we already knew, been through a number of adventures with, but the background story finally being told of Rocket and what this close family is willing to do to save the life of one of their own and the extent and the ends that they'll go to to try to do that. And even for Rocket himself coming to terms with where he came from and who he was, they told compelling, interesting stories. They didn't just rely on, hey, we got some pretty cool characters. Shang-Chi can kick ass. Guardians, everybody loves the Guardians. And put up whatever dreck you want. They actually put up compelling, great stories to bring these interesting characters on a journey with. If the Marvels had taken these three solid characters, and I love Ms. Marvel. I love Imondolani. You, you can't just throw them on screen and say, people are going to love the. No, you got to give them a story to go with. And they just didn't do it. Well, even when they brought the three Spider-Men together, three different aspects of the same characters, the only people that would understand what it means to be Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the other Peter, Peter Parker. Parkers and Spider-Man. Yeah. And they brought them together. And that relationship between the three of them, even though it wasn't a huge part of the movie, it was the core of that film. Was it? Jonathan, can you bring up Isaiah Jones's comment, by the way, if, Isaiah, if you can see that? Uh, like Isaiah, like Isaiah Jones, I, I sorry, I saw this in the live chat. Isaiah Jones in our live chat said they should have focused on Monica's relationship with Carol. 100%. 100%. They kind of set that up. Right? And I'll never understand this. You go back to WandaVision, they set that up. Because remember, somebody mentioned Captain Marvel to Monica and she brisked at it. And you're like, oh. that's brisk, baby. Brisk, <laughs> brisk, baby. <laughs> so they had, they set it up. And what do they do? A 90 second quick convo that just fixed everything. Hey, you know, we needed you. I'm sorry. Okay. And then that was it. Well, how about the it, fact that, that could have been a great story to fall through in the movie? Like Monica was a little girl when she met Captain Marvel and then grew up. Auntie, Aunt you, Carol. You know, and then there's, what is that like? Like, are you delving into that and, and delve into the fact that what were you doing during the blip? You know, I was gone. I got blipped and what happened to you? Yeah. You had to take care. I mean, there's so much stuff that you could have fixed with, I don't know, uh, a meeting after lunch and talked about this script. It would have been made better. Anyway, guys, uh, we could talk about this all day, but uh, yeah, 78% drop. And this bye week, I know that's a sports tournament, but this bye week now coming for Marvel could not have come 
at a better time. Listen, Deadpool 3 is going to make a billion dollars. I've said that and people are like, you know, Rob, superhero fatigue, it's not. It is. No, yeah, no. It it's, is. It's, it's going to make a billion dollars. Um, but, and then you've basically got between now and 2025, 20, that's it. They need that break. They need to sweep the problems that were kind of became an issue once Bob Chapek over, get those behind them, reset themselves, and hopefully, hopefully, come 2025, come Thunderbolts, come Captain America 4, you know, hopefully, and, and as whatever, if Blade ever happens, <laughs> as we're leading into Avengers 5 and 6, whatever those are going to be called, because now we don't even know what they're going to be called, uh, hopefully that, that time is going to be something they can write the ship, recalibrate, and uh, let's go. Let's get this thing going again. We used to love this shit. I, I, uh, <laughs> so, I know. <laughs> so let's see what they can do with a little bit of a break. By the way, Sony right now is going, woo! DC's only got Joker 2 coming out in 2024. Marvel's only got Deadpool 3. That's it. Sony's going to get to put out well, between now and then, they got they got Craven, they got Venom three coming out in twenty twenty four. They've yeah. got uh, the uh, Madam Web across the Spider Verse two. That's across uh, if they can get it out in time, which I yeah. don't know that they will. But I mean, this is an opportunity for Sony if they can put out some uh, stuff more like Venom one and less like Morbius. You, that Sony's okay. tagline: "You've got nothing else." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hey, so come see, come see Craven the Hunter. Because what else is there? You want to wait till 2025? So I don't know. We'll see. All right, guys, listen. With that all down, let's go over and hear what you guys have to say about all this stuff. But before we get to that, we're going to take just another quick moment. And speaking of Deadpool 3, we're going to thank the main sponsor of the John Campy Show channel, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring the john campia show podcast all right guys let's get over to your live questions you guys have been firing in here jonathan what are we starting off here we've got hv3 who says uh there's no way they can do world war hulk with bruce banner but could they be doing a version of World War Hulk with Red Hulk in Thunderbolts? Nobody would care. That's, nobody would care about it. No one's met the Red Hulk. I don't think anybody's going to get nearly attached to them. Now, look, you could ultimately eventually build up to a World War Hulk, but you're going to need a couple of years of rehabilitating the current image of Bruce because nobody's going to believe that Hawaiian shirt, family barbecue attending Hulk 
is going to turn into, I'm going to kill everyone, Hulk. Just like that. It's going to take some time to do that. And I don't think Red Hulk's the answer. All right, what's next? All right, HV3 is back and says, Ross creates the Thunderbolts, becomes Red Hulk. So, uh, something happens to Betty, all hell breaks loose, and then the team he created has to stop him with the help of Sentry. I mean, that is one option. Of course, the option, the other option, of course, is that they, they go the route of Adam Warlock and Guardians 3, which we talked about before, right? Where Sentry could be the thing that makes them go, we need a team to try to face this because... And they would already have to depower him a lot from the comics. And maybe even Red Hulk works with them to take down Sentry. And then at the end, like Adam Warlock, uh, Sentry becomes a good guy. They could go that way. Uh, Red Hulk is another possible option. Again, the problem is this. If you have the Sentry anywhere near, like anywhere close to his actual power levels in the comic... You can Red Hulk all you want. Ain't nothing going to stop him. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just the thing about Sentry. And so I, I don't know what they're going to do with him. Rob, you got a thought on that? I just I just think it's going to be really hard to pull off the Red Hulk. And that's also I, not going to be I, I think looking at Red Hulk on screen is going to be really hard for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's just going to look strange. And you're going to bring that way out of left field. And I think what people are waiting for now is the return of Hulk to being Hulk. Yeah, that's I know that's what I'm waiting for. All right, what's next? Raymond Rada says on Twitter, uh, Ardman Animation assured fans that they still have enough material to do future productions despite their supplier closing down. I don't I, know what Ardman Animations is. They make they, they make uh, uh, Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, I know what they oh. make, but what? what and they've they got mean? a new movie coming out. But what do they mean by their suppliers are closing down? Clay. <laughs> they can't find anybody. They can't find anybody to make clay. Uh, we're out of clay, guys. I don't know what to I mean, tell you. maybe the people that, that finance them? Maybe. I'll have to look at I don't know the stories. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're out of clay. Mix some water and flour. Do something. All right, what's next? Gum? Andy writes, SPN premiered its final uh, episode three years ago today. I can't. But by the way, SPN Supernatural. That was three years ago? Oh, my God. It feels like it was just like a year ago to me when they aired that final episode. Very weepy. I was, I was very emotional watching the final episode of that. I do. I hope they find some way to bring it back. I really do. All right, what's next? AL writes, um, have any of you watched a movie that you didn't like, but then liked or loved the sequel? For me, I didn't like the first Spider-Verse, um, but loved Across the Spider-Verse. I'm sorry. You just, I, I, I have to recalibrate with saying you didn't like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Really? Okay, anyway. It, all film subjective. Uh, for me, it's always uh, uh, a rush hour. Mm. I I did not huh. like the first rush hour film. And, you know, with Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, even though I, I love Jackie Chan, did not like the first rush hour. So it was with great skepticism that I went into rush hour two. And I love rush hour two. Uh, I think it was Zheng Zhi Li. Is, Yi, is, that, is that her name? Uh, anyway. Uh, Zhi Yi Zhang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she was awesome. Um, she was also in uh, Crushing Tiger, Hidden yeah. Dragon. But I love the second one. Also didn't like the third one. But, oh, you know what? Uh, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. I did not like the first Star Trek. I know we, we disagree on the no, first I Star Trek. Well, movie I, 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 yeah. But I didn't like the first Star Trek movie. But like everybody else, I love Wrath of Khan. So Good those example. are two examples for me. Do you got any? You know what? There's. I, I was thinking, uh, the only thing that came to mind, but I did like the first movie, but I liked the second one, was was Mad Max. 
I oh, like yeah. I yeah. like Mad Max. I thought it was cool, but I love The Road Warrior. I mean, The Road yeah. Warrior was almost an entirely different film. And I'd seen Mad Max in the theater, you know. Um, I think it was 79, so like 12. It was cool, but I didn't love it as much as I really loved Road Warrior. What did you think of Thunderdome? You know what? When I, to be honest, it came out in 85. When I first saw it, little disappointed. It's aged well. I it it is I didn't dislike it the first time I saw it. It's grown on me over the yeah. years. Maybe it's the Tina Turner factor. Because know. you're expecting, you know, it was so close to Road, Road War. You you wanted something. You were waiting for that awesome chase. The chase isn't really the point. So, but I, I you know, now I watch it and I, you're just a raggedy man. I love <laughs> Tina Turner in that role. All right, what's next? AL is back and says, <clears throat> excuse me, did you know last su- Saturday was the 45th anniversary of Star Wars Holiday Special, a.k.a. the worst thing to ever come out of Star Wars? Well, and on top of that, the they, they just announced... <laughs> That it was in Variety on uh, Thursday or Friday that uh, a documentary on the making of the Star Wars holiday special, the most infamous thing ever made in Hollywood, uh, and being produced by one of our friends, Kyle Newman. And uh, I was just actually thinking this morning that we should have Kyle, because Kyle's come on the show a few times. He's great. Uh, I love Kyle. He has a new D&D book out. Well, he has two new D&D books out, a a cookbook and another one. Yeah. Uh, I got my copies in the mail the other day. He sent them over to me. Uh, I, I, we should, we should probably, I'll give Kyle a call later today. I'll just see if he wants to come on and talk about the holiday special. Cause I'm looking forward to seeing that, uh, a documentary. All right. What's next? Um, Alec, Andrew writes, what do you think of, uh, daily wire making snow white? <laughs> what's the reference? Well, well, snow white is a, uh, it's in the public domain. Yeah. Anybody can make a snow white movie. As long as you're not using things that other iterations of the Snow White story have already used, yeah. So you can do that. You can't um, sing like other the, than that. Yeah. I have. I, other than that, I have no comment. I'm not going to be dragged into that conversation. <laughs> All right. What's next? Uh, Louis Marte, can someone please tell me what's the difference between multiverse and timelines in the MCU? They uh, don't know. They're both easy to understand, but shows like Loki use terms interchangeably as if they're the same. The uh, all those timelines in in Loki are within the six one six universe, and then there's other universes. But but there there have been times that they have explained it that a, a different branch of a timeline is a is multiverse. That's sloppy writing. But but they've done that, and it's, that's the thing. <laughs> one of the problems with this whole multiverse saga is you've had at least four or five different films explain the concept of multiverse differently, and that has not helped things. No, at all. So you, when you ask what's the difference between this and that, I don't think they really know what the difference is. I, and, no, and Avengers Endgame had a very specific way of explaining yep. time travel. And even that, I thought it was very succinct and to the point, but and how does- alternate, they even said, use the phrase alternate realities and stuff like that. And that was way different than the way it was explained in Loki season one. It was way different than the way they explained it in Doctor Strange. It was way different than, I mean, it's just. Uh, what's Doctor Strange been doing? Hanging out with Charlize Theron, you know. That's what I would do. What's he, I, me too. <laughs> if well, I, I don't need to come back here. Of hanging out with Charlize Theron or doing absolutely anything else, I choose hanging out with Charlize Theron. So Doctor Strange is good in my books. All right, what's next? Uh, the Edge of Reason writes, Hey, John, went down a rabbit hole and watched your Winter Soldier review from your AMC days almost wow. 10 years ago. Where does Winter Soldier stand in your MCU comic book movie hierarchy? I, I haven't 
done a top five or anything like that, but it's 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 definitely in the top five of the best Marvel films. So good. There, there are a lot of people who feel it might be the single greatest comic book movie ever. And I have no argument. Like, I, I don't have it as the top spot myself, but I have no argument with it. I have, that was a movie to me. Let me back up a little bit. When I watched the first X-Men movie and it started and opened with a concentration camp and a child being torn away from the parents and the horrors of all that, it fundamentally, I think for me and millions of other people changed the way of what we thought a comic book movie could be. Cause you got to remember it's different now. Comic book movies can be all types of subgenres, but at the time, the understanding of a comic book movie was a very set thing. That first X-Men movie came out and that opening scene and it changed everything to a little bit of a lesser degree. Winter soldier was almost that same experience for me. It was like, it completely reopened up even wider. The idea of the, different kinds of comic book films you could make, even within the same MCU universe. They said they were making a 70s political thriller. I didn't believe them, and they delivered. And it's just one of the... It's not just one of the great comic book films of the last 15 years. I think it's one of the great films of the last 15 years. Sorry, Martin Scorsese. But I think it's one of the great films of the last 15 years. pretty damn years. good. What, you look back on, what do you think of it? Well, I love, dude, I, I think Winter Soldier is when Marvel really elevated uh, the idea of what they were going for. And to maybe to their chagrin now, because it set a bar and you you knew where it was going. And what was really interesting about, you talk about how Winter Soldier worked. On one hand, it gave Captain America and Steve Rogers a horrible dilemma to find out that the truth, justice, the American way he was fighting for was undermined for such a long period of time. And on the other hand, it added to the tapestry of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it did both of the things it was supposed to do incredibly well. And it made tremendous use of Black Widow and, and uh, Nick Fury. Yeah. As as secondary characters, it was terrific. And, and a great introduction to Sam, Wilson. Sam Wilson. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it worked so well on so many levels. And you, you're like, okay, you made that movie. That should be the gold standard by how all of your other movies. You don't have to copy the plot, but that's what you. That's the mix. That's your recipe. And you know what? I I know this might not be the big popular theory. I thought they improved on it when they did Civil War. Like that, that was the era of the MCU, man. They were just knocking it out of the park at the uh, time. Yeah. All right, what's next? Nat Reads writes, uh, me after the cameos in the Marvels, where's Moon Knight? I quite <laughs> like the show. Finale aside, I would like to see Mark, uh, Steven, and Layla back. I don't think we're going to. I think with Bob Iger uh, kind of saying to Kevin Feige, it's okay to pare things down again. It doesn't have to be all about putting out four Disney Plus Marvel shows a year anymore. And I, I honestly, I feel like Moon Knight, while the character itself had a world of potential, is one of the poster children of the overexpansion of the MCU. And couldn't and, agree more. And while I did not hate the show, I didn't hate it. There's actually a couple of the episodes I loved. Overall, I was kind of let down by the show. But anyway, Rob, you're the Moon Knight guy. How do you feel about that? I, you know, overall, I thought it was a crushing disappointment for me. And also, it failed. The, the rest of the MCU, it was more about Khonshu fighting another Egyptian god over the 
pyramids of Giza and eating the souls of people on the streets of Cairo. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? And how does it tie back into the MCU? And it doesn't. And I didn't even like the iteration of Moon Knight that they were, I understand what they were going for, but I thought it was completely wrongheaded on every level. All right. What's next? We got, oh, let me scroll down here. Cam Comb writes, I got to watch Wish over the weekend. I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't a bit disappointed for the Disney 100 celebration film to feel so hollow. Really? Let me check something out here. Um, I know I'm going to go see it on Wednesday, I think. Um, I've heard decent things about it, but I mean, right now it's, it's got a 54%. Not great. I, the initial people I heard coming out say they quite enjoyed it. I think Dennis liked it. Dennis Zen saw it. I believe he, he said he really liked it, but it's only got a 54% right now. So I'm going to see it in the next day or two, that and Napoleon going to finally watch in the next 24 to 48 hours. So, um, sad to hear this, not better. All right. What's next? CR writes, um, why did the Hobbit put the, his phone on silent? He was tired of the ring. He's tired of the what? The ring. You know the what? One ring. That's not bad. It's not bad. That, I've heard worse. That's not bad. All what right, what's next? <laughs> Ray didn't understand the joke at all. I'll explain to you later. All right, what's next? The Wrestling Hound writes, Beta Ray Bill and Thor 5, please, I need to see my favorite hero. Yeah, here's the thing. It won't mean anything unless they start making these movies better. Marvel's got to raise their game, man. Although, I'm not going to lie. I mean, listen, people have been asking for Beta Ray Bill since they announced the first Thor movie was coming. So, yeah, it would be pretty cool to see Beta Ray Bill. I think he is coming. I think they definitely... Kevin Feige loves these types of characters. He'll show up at some point. But, again, it won't mean anything unless you make the movies better. So, here's hoping they can do both. All right, what's next? Ch- Chazarus writes, Kareem Daniels are d- deserves a lot of the blame of the current state of D- uh, Disney and Marvel uh, that is now pointed at Feige and Iger for some reason. See, that's this is the part where everybody forgets common sense. This is why, like, when Bob Chapek first took over, we said, you know, how do you think he's, somebody wrote and said, how do you think, how good of a job do you think he's doing after one week? And I'm like, whoa, 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 listen, it when, when it comes to big corporate leadership like this, it literally takes years until we feel the impact, right? It's going to take a while before we feel the impact. It's like, what is the stat? If the sun were to explode right now, we wouldn't even know it for 16 minutes. Like you're right. It's, it's, it's going to take a while for you to feel it. And we said, it's going to take a couple of years to actually feel the impact of the moves that are happening. And the moment Bob Chapek was fired and Bob Iger came back in, one of the first things I said on the show was now guys, remember, we're not going to feel the impact of Iger coming back for at least a year or two. It's going to take a while before we even begin to feel the impact of Bob being back. It's also kind of like when uh, James Gunn took over the DCEU and Flash came out. It's like, oh, James Gunn's Flash failed. It's like, well, you know James Gunn had nothing to do with the Flash, they, right? They don't like, know He's that. the head of the studio now. That's the problem. But he had nothing to do with Blue Beetle. He had nothing to do with Flash. It's going to take some time. And so, hey, maybe things get worse for Disney. Maybe they turn around and get better. But either way, like if the Marvels came out and made $300 million opening weekend and became another billion-dollar film, the credit would not go to Bob Iger because this was a movie that was already done its, its life cycle and it was ready to come out by the time Bob Iger took, took back over. So it's going to be a little while. No blame or credit should be given 
to uh, Iger at this point. And yeah, Kareem Daniels, yes, but Kareem Daniels wouldn't have been in that position with that middle layer of management and the stripping. It wasn't Kareem Daniels who stripped away Kevin Feige's authority. That was Bob Chapek. Also, he was, Kareem Daniels is a banker, you yeah. know, doing his job. He was doing his banker thing. Y- you know. <laughs> Banker's going to bank. Yeah, bank bank has got a bank, man. It's banks, yeah. baby. They need brisk. All right, what's next? <laughs> I'm sorry. Jordan Saylor writes, the Young Avengers setup in the Marvels was beyond cringe. Do you no. think a Young Avengers project will happen? By the way, uh, oh, and a $20, like a $20 yeah. super chat. Thank, Thank you so you. much for that, Jordan. I, I thought the scene itself was quite delightful. I thought the scene was really fun because I think Amon Vellani might be the best thing Marvel has going right now. That being said, I hate the idea of a Young Avengers it's such a stupid, it's fine for a comic book. It's fine for a cartoon. I think on a live action screen, I think it's dumb. By the way, it's not even all that young. I love in the scene where she goes, you know, you think you're the only kid with powers? And Halle Bailey's like, I'm, I'm 23. <laughs> like, like, so I, Younger I mean, Avengers. What's that? The Younger Avengers. Yeah. yeah, that's the name. We're the Younger Avengers. By the way, I said Halle Bailey. I meant uh, uh, Halle Steinfeld who I love her. I mean, who doesn't love Hallie Steinfeld? But yeah, we'll see. All right, what's next? Mean says, snow lands on top. What a great line that was. <laughs> oh, that, listen, listen. I may not have overall liked the new Hunger Games movie, but there is a scene near the end with Peter Dinklage's character and the Cornelius Snow character that I thought was the best moment of the movie. And it happens right near the end, and it's something that that line is associated with. Again, I may not have liked the movie, but that that was a really good scene. That was a really good scene. All right, what's next? Emma Murdoch writes, with Iger staying until 26, when do you think they'll an- uh, announce the start of the transition to a new CEO to avoid another JPEG? Not until probably the beginning of 2026. What they won't do is say, in 2020, late 2024, Here's my success for success successor for 2026. They may know in their heads who it's going to be, but they won't announce it because then that's just going to create a year and a half of drama and people making up shit and stuff like that. I don't I don't honestly don't think they will announce publicly who his successor is going to be. My guess, and this is just a guess, my guess is until maybe three months before he steps down. It also depends. The fortunes of a company can ebb and flow, and you never know where Disney's going to be at this time next year, the year after that. Out of maybe the new things, ownership of Apple. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe things turn around. All right, what's next? Uh, Chris James writes, Black Widow wasn't a great movie, but it was fun. Uh, what is killing Disney is just what you have said. Business people making decisions instead of entertainment people. Disney needs to get back to basics. Yeah, and... Again, I think Black Widow came out early enough that you can't pin its shortcomings on Bob Chapek. I mean, you can pin what they did with the movie and how they handled Scarlett Johansson. All that is on Bob Chapek. But I, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of disappointed with Black Widow. I thought, again, I didn't think it was a bad movie. But at the end of the day, it's like, I was hoping for better. Oh, my God. David Harbour's uh, the red, uh, red Guardian. Uh, red Guardian. Like you should have given me a Disney Plus Red Guardian show like that. I I will watch the Rachel hell out Weiss. of that character. Even shorts. They should have been doing like Disney, like Marvel shorts with like him. the old four shorts. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the only the real problem I thought with Black Widow, and I enjoyed it, was the end, the climax. Oh, it's, it's terrible. Themed climax. by the numbers, Every and I, it would have been much better if there was a lot more at stake. I think. Yeah. Hey, listen, look, look, I'm not saying the movie's again. I'm not saying the movie's terrible. Florence Pugh is really good in it. Yeah. Scarlet is always just Scarlet. You know, the David Harbor thing. I, I just thought the negative a little bit outweighed the positive. But again, I'm not trashing on. It's just you know, I, I thought it was a little disappointing. All right, what's next? Connor Dorian writes, they just released a new trailer for Aquaman 2. Ooh, there's some for us to talk about tomorrow. I haven't, <laughs> we'll watch it as soon as the stream is over yeah. today. All right, what's next? All right. Um, uh, Mind Maze Entertainment writes, I love I love Prince music for Highlander. That would be Queen. Yeah, Queen. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's royal. Uh, you can't have one without the other, but I really hope they bring back that Michael Kamen score, which doesn't get as much love in my opinion. What are your thoughts? Yeah, co- uh, Connor McLeod standing in a rainy, dark alleyway with the rain falling, holding a sword, and you hear purple rain. No, see, that yeah. that was Queen, not <laughs> Prince. Got to make sure you get that straight. Um, no, I think you got to update things. Yeah, and Michael came and passed away. Yeah, and, and like, I don't think you just go grab. I mean, you do what like DC did a little bit. You, you put some homage of the original thing in there, but you give it its own stuff. Like, for instance... Michael Giacchino, think what you want about the new Star Trek movies. I think, Rob, you and I agree that the Michael Giacchino s- score um, <clears throat> for the new Star oh, Trek. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a track. Ba, 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 was really, yeah, really that good. Enterprising Young Men, which is the name of the track off off the first 09 Star Trek. Great music. Yeah, it really good Really music. like that score. And even in the that new score, like right near the end of that, ba, 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 which is really good, iconic kind of music. In there, near the end of the piece, it kind of fades out and goes, bum, bum, bum. But like, so they put a little homage in yeah. there. If they can do that with the Highlander, I think I'd be pretty Mike happy. Mike great. I mean, you know, I love his score for Speed Racer. He did an amazing score for Speed Racer. And you know what? And for those of you who may have forgotten, he's now a director because he directed Werewolf by Night. Yep. Which was one that of was the great. couple of things that have worked really well for the MCU in the last few years. You didn't like the Prince's Little Red Katana? Little red in Highlander? No. Oh, all right. That was one of my favorites. There's also a great song. He did a song off the flip side, the uh, side one, side two of 1999. Let's pretend we're immortal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a deep cut for you, Prince fans. Oh, I got it. All right. What's next? <laughs> Aaron Carranza. Uh, I never saw the original Snow White. Why is it called Snow White? Thanks. Because uh, of her skin tone, I think. Yeah. I actually, I think it was also the the mirror talks about her purity. Yep. And stuff oh, like yeah. that. So pure as a driven snow. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? Uh, Diddy Bop. Hello, all. I would love to see Doom brought in with a solo movie, like how they did with Joker. There's only one actor for me. Get me uh, the shoe cobbler. I, who are we talking cobbler? about? Adam Sandler. Like Doom, the video game, or Doctor Doom? I think he's- no, the shoe cobbler's Daniel Day Lewis, dude. No, no, no. But just bring up the the question again. I would love to see Doom brought in. What? Who? Who? Who are we talking Doom, about? Doctor Doom. Okay, Doctor. So I didn't know Doom. they were talking about. Oh. like Doom the the game. Okay, so let me now let me see the question again uh-huh. so I can know what <laughs> I would love to see Doctor Doom brought in with a solo movie. Mm, no, I don't think so. Uh, like they did with Joker. No, no, they they didn't do that with Joker. Joker is not in the DCEU. Yeah, it's, it's just a, a completely else worlds outside of the cinematic universe thing. So I, I don't think they should do that at all. I don't think Dr. Doom should have his own movie to start things off. I think you you bring him in and make him a great villain like some of the other great villains that they've done. 
Also, Daniel Day Lewis is not coming out of retirement. Yeah, da- Daniel Day Lewis is not coming out of retirement. <laughs> I mean, I would love it if he did. I would. He's the great. Look again. He's the Bret Hart of acting. He's the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. There will never be an actor as good as Daniel Day Lewis. I don't think, but we can hope. All right. What's next? Joel, thanks. Uh, giving is the best Eli Roth film in a long time. Highly recommend it. I also watched the new Hunger Games and loved it. Again, I concede that I think most people most people like it, and I'm glad that you do. I, I love that you do. I'm jealous that you do. I. I wish I liked it more. Again, has some strong points for me. It's not great. I still, I didn't see Thanksgiving though. I want to see. Okay. Yeah, I, I do yeah. want to see it. Thanksgiving. But <laughs> apparently nobody saw it because it made no like $2 million over the I just, weekend. that trailer, the trailer in Grindhouse, I recently picked up and they released it in Australia, the original Grindhouse movie on disc. So you can get it the way it re- originally, they only, you could only get Death Proof as an individual movie and you could only get, Planet Terrors, but they released the original. And that trailer for Thanksgiving, when he goes, Thanksgiving, white meat, dark meat, all will be carved. I don't know why. That just, it never <laughs> fails to me. So then the question will be, because remember, Machete came, got its own movie franchise yeah. from being a trailer in that. Now we got Thanksgiving. Don't. I was going to say, isn't that the, Simon, uh, not Simon Pegg. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know. uh um, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Don't. Yeah, that was don't. Maybe don't has to come out now. <laughs> By the way, what's Edgar been up to lately? <laughs> well, they got the new Scott Pilgrim animated series. Yeah, but oh. that's... Like, he did the the one with Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, the so... Uh, which I, I, everybody loved and I didn't love. It's probably my least favorite of Edgar Wright. And I love Edgar Wright. I'm a passionate Edgar Wright fan. I didn't really love that one, but uh, it's interesting. Okay, listen, guys, we are running really late, but... We want to get to at least a couple of our channel members' topics and questions they sent in. So Don't. what do we got up here? <laughs> Fanjecture writes, Disney should have never fired Peter Rice. Another blunder under Chapek. Thousand percent. You could make an entire movie about yeah. that. That was one of the most boneheaded decisions they've ever made. Was letting him go was crazy. All right, what's next? Um, I think we know the answer to this. Alan writes, happy Monday, Campia crew. I just saw the domestic box office for the Marvels and it sits around 65 million. Is it possible this movie will not make 100 million domestically? What does that mean for Marvel? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I guarantee it won't make 100 million domestically. It'd be the first Marvel film to fail to do so. Um, what does that mean for Marvel? They have a much needed break. The bye week is coming at the perfect time. Yeah. We'll never see Brie Larson again. No, no, you will. You will. (laughs) She's already, she just did an interview actually yesterday. She said, oh yeah, we've already got the next thing she's going to be doing planned. So she's, she'll, she'll be coming back and all that kind of stuff. But I I don't know that we're going to see like Captain Marvel two or three, depending on how you want to do it. So yeah, I I don't see it. Although maybe, maybe Thanksgiving week will be a good week for Captain Marvel. Well, I mean, Boy, it can't be bad. It's going to make money. Today. Gonna... <laughs> I don't see it happening. Look, this is a movie that is good enough that it should make $100 million domestically. But it's just the state of things, man. It's just, look, it made $10 million this weekend. I It ain't going to make another $35 million. I just, unless some kind of magic happens, I, I just don't see it happening. And I, again, I'm not hating on it. I'm just looking at the numbers. That's what the numbers say. So I have a hard time believing that it will. All right, what's next? Um, Red One Real Talk says in classic Netflix fashion, I was surprised to discover that the last season of The Crown dropped this weekend. Yeah. This show never fails to disappoint. And while the marketing hasn't been visible or very visible, I'm hopeful that the two part season split may serve it well. This show never 
Um, to your point, there are very few people out there as passionate about the crown as my wife, Anne. She loves the crown. So much so that it inspired her and Kaori to take a trip to London because they wanted to see Buckingham Palace. All, and she never cared about the royalty or anything like that prior to the crown. And even she was like, I totally forgot that came out. Like, so yeah, they did not, uh, they did not set that up well. Also, uh, on November 22nd, that Squid Game reality show comes out. Oh, and I'm looking forward to uh, that trailer won me over. Yep. I'm actually really looking forward to that. All right. What's next? We got, um, uh, Esteban Reyes who writes, I hope some of y'all watched Thanksgiving cause it was really some of the most fun I've wa I had watching a movie this year. Dang. Love y'all, all y'all. Love all of y'all. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, this weekend was really, really busy for us. Uh, cap capped last night, by the way, I should point out that, uh, you know, one of our friends, Nigel McGinnis, former Ring of Honor world champion, once ranked number six in Pro Wrestling Magazine as the sixth greatest wrestler in the world. Uh, of course, now he's a commentator for <coughs> AEW. Uh, he had a magic show last night in LA. So, yeah. So, and of course, he's dating our own Kaori. <clears throat> and, um, uh, they've been dating for like five years now. They're practically married. But uh, we went out to go and support him and, and watch his show. It was really good. I'm actually going to, I told Nigel I wanted him to come on the show. I think in the next week or two, I'm going to have him come on. Because I know a lot of you guys who watch are also wrestling fans. And uh, I've asked him to come on and feel, and just, you know, for like 10 minutes, tell some stories about the state of things. I think a lot of you guys will appreciate that. But yeah, so, and we had a lot going on this weekend. So I uh, didn't have a chance to see, uh, I got to see Hunger Games, didn't have a chance to see Thanksgiving. And I took a pass on trolls because I get to do that. All right, what's next? Uptumber, uh, oh, whoops, wrong one. Uptumber writes, just watched season one, episode one of The Morning Show. Wow, I'm hooked. Great acting by Reese and Jen. Love having Steve in there for a little as well. Tell you what, um, I did not think that show looked very good. And when Ann started watching it and she said, John, I think you should give this a shot. I'm like, eh, whatever, I'll, I'll give it a shot. That show is way better than it has any business being. I, it's not my kind of show. And I loved it. It's really good. And the Steve Carell arc in it, I won't give anything away, but the Steve Carell arc in it is moving and powerful and it's fun. It's, it's uh, and terrific performances. Reith Witherspoon, Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston doing the best acting she's ever done in her career. Um, it's a really good show. I recommend you check it out. All right, let's take two more. All right, uh, I'm going to jump down here real quick just to Zelda Master, who says, uh, so the other weekend, uh, or I figured out something, the first 11 years of MCU, Infinity Saga, they released 23 projects since the Multiverse Saga began two years ago, 23. Only having one movie next year can only be a good thing, could give Feige the chance to refocus uh, before he burns himself out. And it, we started looking at those types of numbers when Victoria Alonso was let go. Because, you know, a lot of people, one of the big topics of conversation, when it's really not that important, but has been the visual effects quality and a lot of stuff. But I'm sorry. You can't put out the sheer amount of content that they've been putting out, not to nope. mention the rest of the industry, and expect that the visual effects is going to be up to snuff. Because all of a sudden now, you have 10,000 more visual effects artists who five years ago would not have been good enough to be in the visual effects industry, but now you got to have them because there's that much work that needs to be done. And, and the timetables of it, listen, what Victoria Alonso did as running the visual effects, uh, overseeing visual effects, stuff like that for Marvel Studios, 
the very fact that any of those movies were even able to come out is a testament to the fact that she was pretty kick-ass at her job. And because anybody else, most of those movies don't even come out. Maybe that would have been a good thing. But her job was to make sure visual effects got done in the biggest, heaviest pipeline in the history of the industry for visual effects to come out. She got it done. Some of it was sub-quality, but the very fact that it got done at all is unimaginable. Now, she got fired because she was directly out-promoting competition to their own movies and they told her not to do it and she said, I'm going to do it anyway. And then they said, well, we got to part ways with you and they were right to do so. But yeah, she never got fired because of uh, the quality of the work she was doing. She was doing something that nobody else could have done a better job, I don't think, at the time. All right, guys, we've gone over time, so that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in topics and questions. Number one, because it gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget to come on back and join us again tomorrow for the next installment. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this new Aquaman 2 trailer, by the way. So for everybody in the room, Ray Ora. Yep, see you later. Jonathan Voiko. Later. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.